The Lord has become like an enemy. This may be the most terrifying sentence in the whole book of Lamentations. Maybe in the whole Bible. The Lord has become like an enemy. You already heard last week how the people of Judah, God's people, had been decimated by the Babylonians. Their once glorious capital city of Jerusalem now lay in ruins, and the streets were full of dead bodies. Most of the survivors deported to the far corners of the conquering empire, and the few remaining inhabitants now starving amid the rubble. And the temple, the house of God, which had been the symbol of the Lord's presence with his people, had been looted by the invaders and then burnt to the ground. And the book of Lamentations insists that it is the Lord himself who has brought about this disaster. The prophet poet writing this lament couldn't possibly be more direct and emphatic about this in our passage. Listen again to some of the verbs, some of the actions he attributes to the Lord, just in the first few verses of our chapter. The Lord has swallowed up. The Lord has broken down. The Lord has cut down. The Lord has burned up. The Lord has bent his bow. And he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes. In the day of his anger against his people's unrepentant sin, the Lord has become like an enemy to them. And this is quite literally the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone. The Lord, God of Israel, Almighty Creator and King of the universe, who laid the foundation of the earth and who spread out the heavens with his hand, who makes nations great and who destroys nations, who sends forth rain and it goes and waters the earth, or who withholds rain and the land dries up. If he tears down, none can rebuild. If he builds up, none can tear down. In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all humankind. Who could be a more valuable friend than this Lord? And who could be a more fearsome and deadly enemy? At this moment in the history of his chosen people, the Lord had become like an enemy to them. How could this happen? After all, from the very beginning, God has shown himself to be the great and faithful friend of humankind. Consider how God created the world in the first place. Not because he had any need for it to be there, but because it was his good pleasure to make a bountiful and beautiful world for us to live in. The human race exists and each one of us here today exists only because God decided to give us existence out of love for us. And even in the face of our sin, God continues to sustain this world he gave us. The sun continues to shine, the rain continues to fall, the ground continues to bring forth 
good food and beautiful flowers. And the earth continues to turn on its axis for no other reason than that God continues to love humankind. God shows himself to be the great and faithful friend of all people. And he shows himself to be the great and faithful friend of his chosen people in particular. Remember that this people of Judah, now suffering under his anger, are the very same people whom he brought into existence by his promises to Abraham, and whom he rescued from slavery in Egypt when he heard their suffering. Alone among all the nations of the earth, he made known to them his holy name, and he shared with them his holy law. He drove other peoples out of the land so that he could give it to this chosen people. He judged other nations on the basis of how they treated this chosen nation. And he himself dwelt in their midst, first in a simple tent while they wandered through the desert, later in the temple on Mount Zion. This was his sanctuary, where his holy presence rested with his people. This was his meeting place, where his people could come and worship him, pray to him, and even be reconciled with him when they sinned. In all these ways and more, he showed his special favor and friendship to the people of Judah. So how could it happen? How could the Lord, who had shown himself such a great and faithful friend, become like an enemy to his people? We heard it last week in chapter 1, verse 18. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. The Lord has become like an enemy because his people have become rebels against his word. The Lord wasn't quick to become like an enemy. In his faithful friendship towards the people, he was patient with them even in their sin. What he wanted was not to destroy them, but to restore them. And so he sent them prophets. Now, there were also false prophets who misled the people. The poet tells us about them in verse 14. Verse 14, Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. That's what the false prophets were getting up to. But can you hear, hidden in that verse, a definition of true prophecy? Look there in verse 14. The mark of a true prophet would have been to expose your iniquity to restore your fortunes. That's what the prophets the Lord sent were there to do. That's what the Lord wanted for his people. He wanted to expose their sin in order that he might restore their fortunes out of love. That's what the word of God always does, not just for the people of ancient Judah, but for us today when we read and hear the scriptures. God's word exposes our sins so that it can restore us. I hope that's what happens for many of us each Sunday. God's word shows us just how far we've strayed from his good ways so that it can lead us through repentance and faith 
back to life with God. And by the time the Babylonians showed up to conquer Judah and destroy Jerusalem, God had been sending prophets to his people for hundreds of years. Prophets like Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Isaiah, Micah, and many, many more. He sent them to expose the sins of his people, to warn them about the danger they were in, and to call them to repentance, so that their relationship with God might be restored to their benefit. Because he's a faithful friend to his people, God sent them that word of warning over and over again. But the people rebelled against his word. If they had received God's word with faith and repentance, they would have experienced all the rich blessings of friendship with God. That's what he was offering. But instead, they rolled their eyes at God's prophets, at the warning and at the promises he had sent them. And they continued persistently and unrepentantly in the way of sin. They rebelled against God's word. They determined to be enemies of God and of his good purposes. And so the Lord became like an enemy to them. Here's the thing about God's word. Just because you don't listen to it doesn't mean it's not true. We read in verse 17, the Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word. The Lord carried out the same warnings and promises that the people ignored. The judgment he had warned about came to pass just as he said it would if the people didn't repent. Because they again and again refused to have their sins exposed and their friendship with God restored, finally the Lord became like an enemy to them. And the worst thing that could possibly happen, happened. So we hear the poet cry out in verse 13, What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Who can heal you? Who can heal you when you've set yourself against the source of all goodness and life? Who can help you when you pick a fight with Almighty God? The answer, of course, is no one. No one can help you. If God is your enemy, no one can help you. If God in his wrath wounds you, no one can heal you. No one, that is, except God himself. The people's only hope is to turn back to their God. And so in verse 18, their heart cried to the Lord. In this last section of our chapter, verses 18 to 22, we hear the poet first summoning the whole people together. Let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. And then for the first time in this book, we hear the poet address the Lord directly in the second person. This part starts in verse 20. 
Look, O Lord, and see. With whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the old and the young. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. Look, O Lord, and see. The speaker is crying out to the Lord to witness the horrible destruction that he has brought upon his people. Look, Lord, at the young men and women lying dead in the streets. Look, Lord, at the mothers so hungry they're considering eating their own children. Look at the state that we, your people, are in because of what you have done. Now let's be careful here to understand what this prayer, what this desperate crying out to the Lord is really about. The poet is not blaming God or reproaching him for what's happened. Remember, this is the same poet who wrote in the last chapter, the Lord is in the right. The poet knows that what the Lord has done is just. So he's not complaining and saying, Lord, look, what you've done is wrong. No, on the contrary, the Lord is in the right. But what the poet is saying is this, look, Lord, we know that you're in the right, but look at us. However much we deserve your judgment, we cannot bear it. We cannot bear it. Have mercy on us. Not because we deserve it, but simply because we need it. No one can heal us but you. So please, Lord, look on our pitiful state and have mercy. Friends, God loves this kind of prayer. Prayer that says, God, I've sinned against you, and I deserve your judgment, but I'm asking you to have mercy on me anyway, because you're my only hope. God loves this kind of prayer. He loves it when we appeal to his mercy. Do you know why I can say that with confidence? There's lots of reasons, but here's one. Because this book of Lamentations is in the Bible. On the one hand, the book of Lamentations is a work of human poetry. Someone, maybe the prophet Jeremiah, or maybe someone unknown to us, but some human person wrote these words. But that's not all this book is. At the same time as being a work of human poetry, it's a work of Holy Scripture. Speaking through the words of this human author is the divine author, the Holy Spirit, God himself. After we read Lamentations chapter 2 this morning, we all said, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And we were right to say that. Because the poet prophet writing these words was, whether or not he knew it, writing what the Lord had given him to write for our benefit, for the benefit of God's people. So when we hear the poet crying out to God, look, O Lord, and see... The poet and the people are actually crying out with words that God himself has given them to cry. 
when the poet looks at the dead in the streets and sees the starving mothers and children, the sorrow and the compassion that he feels in his heart are only a faint reflection, a little taste of the sorrow and the compassion that are in the heart of God. Friends, we should never imagine that we or any other human can out-compassion God. It will never happen. All the suffering in this whole world, God sees it and takes it to heart much more deeply and perfectly than we could ever imagine. When we pray, look, Lord, and see about any situation, we're not telling him anything he doesn't already know. His heart is much, much closer to the starving child, to the grieving parent, to the family fleeing a war zone. God's heart is much closer to them than we could ever know. Whatever we feel when we think about these things or when we read about the suffering of the people in this book, we can trust that God knows it and feels it much more deeply and perfectly than we do. It's because God's compassion is so much deeper than ours, in fact, that he also hates sin so much more fiercely than we do. It's because he knows that sin is the root cause of all suffering in this world, that poverty, war, disease, loneliness, heartbreak, confusion, all the things that make our human experience horrible, all have their root in our rejection of his good ways. Sin is the thing that hurts the creatures God loves so dearly. And that's why he hates it so fiercely. The book of Lamentations is one of the many, many places in Scripture that shows us what is in the heart of God. Boundless love for humankind. Boundless compassion for human suffering. Boundless wrath against sin. And as we finish up here, where is it that God's wrath against sin and his loving mercy towards human sinners both at the same time find their full expression? It's of course in the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 verses 8 to 10 tells us that God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still God's enemies, he reconciled us to himself by the death of his son. We have now been justified by his blood and saved from his wrath. This is how God will ultimately answer the prayer of the poet and the people at the end of this chapter, their desperate cry for mercy, which he, by his Holy Spirit, taught them and inspired them to pray. His answer to that prayer is that he will come in the person of his Son to save us from wrath by suffering in our place. For a moment in the history of his people, the Lord became like an enemy. A terrifying thought. Horrible. 
But in the fullness of time, while we were still his enemies, he came to do what only he could do, to heal the wound that only he could heal. While we were still his enemies, the Lord showed himself our great and faithful friend. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.